Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord Jesus, we exalt you. We lift your name on high. There is none like you. And Lord, in you are hidden all the treasures of God. And we thank you that in you we find all we need. And now, Lord God, open our eyes to this truth. We are so blind. We are blind. Give us sight to see you and through you to see all things clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Luke chapter 18, if you turn there please, Luke 18, welcome all of you today, great to see you here and worship, all that are joining us in the service and the hub and all those that are participating online. Luke chapter 18, as we begin again our series through this wonderful, wonderful gospel filled with these living encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of them are so familiar to us. But they are treasures that are new every day as we read them, right? And filled with wonderful, wonderful application. And let's turn to this passage. When my life's work is ended and I cross the swelling tide. When the bright and glorious morning I shall see. I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side. And his smile will be the first to welcome me. Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face and the luster of his kindly beaming eye. How my full heart will praise him for the mercy, love, and grace that's prepared for me a mansion in the sky. Through the gates of the city, in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of ages, I will mingle with delight, but I long to see my Savior first of all. I shall know him. I shall know him. And redeemed by his side, I shall stand. I shall know him. I shall know him. By the print of the nails in his hand. Beautiful song. 155 years old. Written about the incredible moment of seeing Jesus. Seeing the Lord. Seeing the nail prints in his hands. And it was written by a woman who could not see it all, Fanny Crosby, who wrote that beautiful, beautiful song. Not just that one, but it's estimated she wrote 
nearly 9,000 hymns. And many of them she wrote with a pseudonym because, well, she just didn't want to overwhelm the market with her own song <laughs> under her name. She had a contemporary at the latter part of her life, a lady by the name of Helen Keller. Incredible story of this woman who was deaf and blind, but became the first deaf and blind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. She did that from Radcliffe College in Harvard University. Helen Keller said this when she was asked about her blindness and how much of a limitation it was to her. Here's what Helen Keller said. Better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two eyes and see nothing. Amen. Truly, the saddest of all eyes are those that will not see. Those are the saddest eyes. And the truth, friends, this morning that I want us to focus on, except for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would all be blind, in darkness, headed for outer darkness, never to know the light. But thank God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is light, shined in the darkness he brought the glory of the God to our hearts in his own face now our text today is another moving account about a miracle of healing by Jesus and let's talk about miracles for a moment you're looking there with me at Luke chapter 18 miracles are sometimes defined as reversing of the natural order it's when something happens it, it is an act of God reversing the natural order but can I tell you that's not accurate you see a miracle is not the reversing of the natural order a miracle of God is the restoring of the natural order see things are messed up newsflash they're messed up outside and they're messed up inside. And God did not create this world to be in this condition. And a miracle is making things right. Returning things to their natural order. Sin is not natural. The consequences of sin are not natural. And it is by supernatural intervention of God in Christ that things are really brought back to normal. Now, many times we look at the miracles and we don't see why the Lord performed the miracles that he performed? Why are these healings mentioned in the Bible? And I think it would be good for us just to 
begin by considering that for a moment because you see the miracles that are performed by Jesus these physical miracles are reminders of his power over the effects of sin Jesus came into this world to defeat sin conquer sin bring life and he showed that in his power over the effects of sin think about it as he healed leprosy leprosy representing sin's corrupting power he healed lameness representing sin's debilitating power he brought healing of demonic possession representing his power over sin's destructive dominion he raised from the dead showing his power and victory over sin's deadly power the wages of sin death and here in our text we have Jesus accomplishing one of his great miracles over blindness and he's showing his power over the sin's effect to bring spiritual darkness spiritual blindness the Bible says that Jesus mission would be one of causing the blind to see and that's what I want us to focus on this morning this promise this reality that in Jesus Christ the blind will see the blind will see now notice as the text was read this morning notice once again Luke brings together two events that are not alike but they have a common denominator a common theme and Luke brings together two cases of blindness do you see this there's not just one case of blindness here there's two cases of blindness that are put side by side and we want to look at both of them this morning now notice first of all there's the blindness of the disciples there's the blindness of the disciples a blindness about the mission of Jesus a blindness about the mission of Jesus now it is the final days of Jesus long approach to Jerusalem you would have to go back all the way to chapter 9 of Luke chapter 9 verse 31 says that Jesus turned toward Jerusalem and he set his face toward Jerusalem it means that he set his direction with determination to go to Jerusalem knowing what awaited him there and everything that we've been reading from Luke chapter 9 verse 31 to this very moment in the text is Jesus headed toward Jerusalem but now as he's drawing close in order to prepare his 12 disciples for what is about to happen Jesus wants them to understand more than their destination they know they're headed to Jerusalem they know their destination but what Jesus wanted them to understand was his destiny his destiny verse 31 listen to this and taking the twelve he said to them see 
We are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. And he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now, notice the events that Jesus says are his destiny. Notice, these are not accidental. They're providential. As a matter of fact, they have already been prophesied hundreds of years before through the servants of God as they were inspired by God's Spirit. They're not accidental. Jesus is not headed to Jerusalem and things are going to spin out of control. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is in complete control. He's headed toward Jerusalem. It is the plan of God that these things will happen. But friends, listen. The plan of God does not take away the sinful, wicked acts of men. Sinful, wicked acts that will be carried out on Jesus. Notice what he says. He will be betrayed. He'll be handed over. That means someone will betray him. One of the twelve to whom he is speaking is going to do it. He will be betrayed. He will be humiliated. He is the son of David. He is the king of the Jews. And he will be spat upon and slapped and ridiculed. He will be tormented. He will be flogged with a whip containing stones and pieces of metal, sharp objects, glass that will rip away his flesh. He'll be tormented and he will be executed. All these things he knew would happen. And he set his face to go. And he said they would all happen. But what would be the glorious culmination? On the third day, he would be resurrected. He would be resurrected. The prince of life cannot be killed. He cannot be brought to death. Death cannot hold this prince of life. Now, what was the response of his 12 disciples? Now, remember here, this, this is the response of Jesus' disciples after they've been three years in the Savior Seminary. I mean, they've got a Master's of Divinity degree like no one else. Three years in the Savior Seminary. And what was their response to what Jesus said? Verse 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. I mean, it's like, didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it. You hear that? They, they didn't understand him. It was hidden from them. They did not grasp what he was saying. Now, friends, be very quick to understand here. It's not for a lack of information. 
Jesus has been teaching them. He has been saying what he just said. He's been saying this for a number of months now. It's not a lack of information. There's a deeper issue here. The deeper issue is a lack of humble illumination. A lack of humble illumination. What do I mean by that? What Jesus was saying just didn't fit in with their plans. What Jesus was saying was going to happen did not align with their personal convictions about what was going to happen in Jerusalem. What Jesus was saying did not match up what, with what they had been told all their lives. It did not match up with their personal intentions. As a matter of fact, James and John had already made it clear one's going to be on the left and one's going to be on the right. And they even got their mom in on it. <laughs> they were, listen carefully church, they were blinded by their own views. They had their own views on what Jesus was going to do and their own views were cataracts to them receiving the wisdom of God. The cataracts of their own personal conviction, their own personal intention kept them from being able to receive the wisdom of God. Now... We can't judge them too harshly, right? No. I hope no one here is saying, man, if I'd have been there, I got it. I mean, how could they not get this? I mean, it's right in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, we can't judge them too harshly. There's blindness here about the... The mission of Jesus. We'll come back to that in a moment. But now we see another case of blindness. As Jesus has taken them aside and told them what's going to happen, he resumes his journey. And you have to know that a whole throng of people is around Jesus. And this whole throng of people is, is headed toward Jerusalem... But Jesus is going to show these disciples who are blind about his mission. He's going to show them that blindness is his mission. It is his mission. This huge crowd is following Jesus and they're going up for Passover. They're, they are experiencing aliyah, pilgrimage. They're going up. To the city of Zion. And now they're about 28 miles away. They've just crossed over the Jordan River. They've come to the very important city of Jericho. The city of Palms. The lowest inhabited city on the face of the earth. 1,400 feet below sea level. The city of Palms. <laughs> and don't you love this? Here we have the Joshua of the New Testament approaching the walls of Jericho. And this same God who broke down the walls of Jericho is going to break down the walls of sin inside of Jericho. And the crowd's already celebrating. Already, 
Hosanna! Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! Praise to the Son of David. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of voices. Uh, Can you imagine the noise? And there's one poor man who he hears it approaching. He hears the parade way before it gets there. But he doesn't see the cause because he's blind. But he heard an explanation when he asked what in the world is going on as he's sitting there as his custom is day in and day out at the gate of Jericho to beg This blind man hears the noise and he asks what is going on and his heart thrills when he hears the answer. Verse 37. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. The fame of Jesus had reached this man. We don't know how, but this man had heard of Jesus. No doubt the the wondrous stories of his miracles had proceeded and come to Jericho. And this man knows that other blind men and women have been healed by Jesus. And now he's here. He's passing by. He's coming right down the road where I am seated. And when he knows that Jesus is near, he cries out. In desperation, but it's a desperation that comes from hope. A hope that something can be done for him. He cries out and it's so personal and it's so persistent because they try to shut him up and he won't shut up. Verse 39, and those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David. Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me, son of David. This is a term for the Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth, you are the son of David. You are the promised one. Have mercy on me. (laughs) Knowing that Jesus is there only makes his, his shouts even louder, louder than the Praise parade. (laughs) Now this is so wonderful. Jesus is in the center of this. Now get the picture. You've got to get the picture. Jesus is in the center of this parade. There is praise and shouting. There is singing. There are loud exclamations from hundreds and hundreds of voices. But this is so wonderful. Jesus, above all that noise, heard one man's call. He heard him. He heard his voice. And more importantly, he heard his heart. Notice notice these moments of mercy. I like to see how Luke describes these The moments of mercy. This movement of mercy. What's the man crying out for? Mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy on me. Notice what happens. Jesus heard him. Then Jesus called him. Bring him here. And then Jesus listened to him. 
What is it that you would have me do for you? And Jesus healed him. And restored him. You see that movement of mercy? Jesus is passing by. One desperate man. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, in the midst of all the worship and praise, hears him. Calls him. Listens to him. Heals him. Restores him. You see, Jesus restored this man. He didn't just... He restored his eyesight. Yes, immediately he could see. But notice, Jesus did not just restore his eyesight. Jesus restored his identity. It's not just that he can see now and used to he couldn't see. It's now... He can see because he's filled with light. And he's not in darkness anymore. He's no longer a beggar. He's a believer. He's no longer a victim. He's a victor. And he joins the praise parade. He joins in. The first thing he does, the Bible says, is that immediately... With his sight restored, what did this man do? He followed Jesus. And he glorified God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. You see, it's not just his eyesight that's been restored. Yes, his identity has been restored. He is now truly a follower of Jesus. He is restored in his spirit. He's restored in his sight. He is now a worshiper, praising God for what he's done. Now, notice how, the, how this man's eyesight and his identity were restored. Now, notice this is very important. Notice how this man's eyesight and his identity were restored. Listen to what Jesus said to him. Verse 42. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Notice. Your faith has made you well. And you need to know here, literally, made you well is your faith has saved you. Because the phrase here, if you're using the English Standard Version, it, it is actually from the word for salvation. Your faith has made you well, not just physically, but your faith has made you well spiritually. Your faith has saved you. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, this man, he truly could be going toward Jerusalem singing Amazing Grace. I mean, he, he could have written it 1,700 years before John Newton. 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. It's all of God. It's all of grace. It's all through Jesus Christ. But what connected this man and his great need to the great resource of God in Christ was his faith. Your faith has made you well. Faith in what? Faith in your faith? Faith in your optimism? A faith that things are going to be a little better every day, every way? No. Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. My friend, here's a question. And this is so important. Because my friend Jesus, by His Spirit, is passing by today. He's here. By the Spirit of God, Jesus is here. He's passing by today. For people in darkness. For people who are in such shadows. It's overwhelming. Jesus is passing by. What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? What does it mean to have faith so that you're made whole? I'm reminded of the story from the life of the great missionary John Payton. John Payton, who over a hundred years ago, 150 years ago or so, was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific at that time inhabited by cannibals. And God put it on his heart to go there and to share with them the message of Jesus. And I can't begin to tell you of what it meant to this man, what it cost this man, how God used this man. But you can still read today the autobiography of John Payton. I encourage you to do that. But when he had finally made a little inroad by the grace of God into reaching some of these people with the gospel... He desired above all things to translate the scriptures into their languages. And he wanted them to know the, the message of God. And yet he found this, that among these people, they had no word for faith. How can I share with them the message of the gospel when they have no word for faith? And he prayed for understanding, he prayed for wisdom. And one day he and one of his disciples had gone out hunting for food. And as they were coming back carrying what they had captured, they became tired and they decided to rest on the grass. And as they were stretched out there in the shade, the man said this, he said, it is nice to stretch out here and rest. 
It is nice to stretch out here and rest. And John Payton jumped up. What is that word? What is that word? What word? Stretch out and rest. And the man gave him the word, and that is the word that he used to translate faith. Faith is to stretch yourself out and rest on Jesus. That's what faith is, my friend, in any language. That's what faith is in any language. It is for a sinner, hopeless, blind, unable to help himself or herself with nothing he or she can do to simply stretch himself, rest herself on Jesus and Him alone. That is faith. That's faith. And that's the faith that saves your soul. That's the faith that brings light to your darkness. That's the faith that delivers you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light of Jesus Christ. Stretch yourself out on Jesus. Rest on Jesus. That's the gospel. Now, as we close and we're going to prepare for communion... I want us to take a vision test. Let's check our vision this morning. Number one. Do I cry out to Jesus for clear vision? How do I try to figure things out? What is my compass? Where do I find truth? What is the light in my darkness? What is true north for me in a world that has no compass? Do I cry out to Jesus for clear vision? I read this morning... In some devotion time, I came across Psalm 19.8. Here's what it says. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. God's word enlightens your eyes so you can see life for what it really is. Friends, don't you understand? Left to ourselves, we don't know what life's all about. We are in darkness we can't figure it out. We need the light that comes from the light of Christ and the light of His Word. And His light in His Word gives us enlightenment. I was so blessed this week. I found on my desk a little note written by one of our teenagers. And she was responding to something I said in last week's message about what really matters. What really matters. And here's what she wrote. Pastor Sam, yesterday I was thinking about just that. What matters except the advancement of the gospel? 
Oh, how my heart is longing to make the message of Christ my sole goal. What is wealth in eternity? I don't have a lot of opportunity to share the gospel now being homeschooled. But how I feel the Lord working in my heart and calling me here to serve the only one I love. I love this church. Thanks for serving so faithfully. Wow. That girl's not yet graduated from high school by quite some years. But she's enlightened. I'm going to file that. I file all the notes I get. Some of them go in a special file. This one will go in my blue flu file. I've got a blue flu file. Sometimes when I feel so low, I reach for a note someone's written me, some of you dear folks, and my heart's encouraged. That is going in there for sure. How's your vision? Do you ask Christ for clear vision? You've made your plan. Have you discussed it with Jesus? You have your goals. Have they been set by you or set by Jesus? Have you got a bright idea and you've asked the Holy Spirit just to blow some holy dust on it? Or has your idea for your life come out of prayer with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to make your life matter now and for eternity? Number one, do I cry out to Jesus for clear vision? Number two, do I see the people living in darkness? Do I see them? Friends, listen carefully. Self-focus makes us blind. Makes us blind. We can even be self-focused in our discipleship. Like these disciples. Here's what's going to happen. This is the way it's going to be. Wow, listen to us worship, listen to us praise, listen to us have our great time in the presence of God, but we don't see the people all around us in darkness. But my friend, listen, if you'll talk to Jesus every day, and you know, you can talk to him, he's alive. And he hears. If you will talk to him and listen to him, let me tell you what will happen. We can hear what he wants us to hear and we can see what he wants us to see. You don't believe it? Try it. When we sing that song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, my friend, that's real. Because my heart it's got cataracts on it. And I need him to open my heart. 
because I'm a self-focused man. That's my natural bent. But when I'm with Christ and in His Word and in His presence and I'm worshiping, I just seem to hear things that I wasn't hearing and I see things I wasn't seeing. It's amazing. Life becomes clearer. What is life all about? Did you hear it from the teenager? Jesus and people. That's what life's all about. If your plan for your life is not bookend there, you need to get another plan. Jesus and people. One of the finest missionaries I've ever known in my entire life. We're blessed to partner with him. I will not share for some specific reasons. But I asked him once, because over these years, most amazing works of the Lord. And I said, what in the world? How Can you tell me how this has happened? And he said, Sam, this is all I can tell you. Here's what I do every day. I make friends and I tell them about Jesus. Amen. That's just what I do. I said, oh, okay. Your, your strategic plan. Uh, you know, your, your five-year plan. Yeah. Every day I make friends and I tell them about Jesus. Brilliant. Will I cry out to Jesus today? Here's the question. Jesus is passing by. Now listen to me. I completely know about the providence of God and the sovereignty of God. I know it and understand it. But listen carefully what I'm about to tell you. And where life comes to meet with Christ, if this man had not cried out, Jesus would not have heard him and would not have stopped. Jesus was passing by. And this man cried out. He's passing by. I don't know if he's coming your way again or not. You don't, you don't demand Jesus' itinerary. You're here today. I'm sharing this story with you. The Holy Spirit has you in this place. He has you watching. Jesus is passing by. I don't know if he's going to come back this way or not. But he's here now. He's here. And I want you to know that though bodily he is in heaven and millions upon millions of angels and saints are worshiping him, heaven is loud with praise, but Jesus hears the faintest cry to anyone who calls for him. He's passing by. Fanny Crosby was taken by that statement. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And she was gripped two years after writing the hymn I started with. She was gripped by this passage, and here's what she wrote. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. 
hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Trusting only in thy merit, would I seek thy face, heal my wounded, broken spirit, save me by thy grace. Let me at thy throne of mercy find a sweet relief, kneeling there in deep contrition. Help my unbelief. You know the chorus? Sing it with me. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Sing the prayer to Jesus. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. Jesus will never pass by one who in repentance and faith is calling out for mercy. He's passing. Call out to him. Call out to him.